2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Water Cooler, the world's most statistically average sports podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals, featuring 320 shows with a stable of former players and local media personalities. Check us out today at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V. My name is Ryan Saber, the most electrifying voice in sports information, and with me as always... Well, it's just me this week, folks. Unfortunately, our co-host, our friend, the Crockpot, he is at the beach with his family. So we're going to go at this thing solo this week. And it's not entirely 100% solo. We're going to have a couple special guests on this show. We're bringing back friend of show, Alex Gilstrap from Sports Illustrated to talk NFL draft. And we're also going to bring Staff Boy Colby back for his weekly segment, Diamonds and Pucks, to talk a little baseball and hockey. Before we get in the show, a word from our sponsor. The month of June is heating up with tons of exciting sports action, and BetOnline is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures, BetOnline has the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head to BetOnline and start playing today. Bet online, your online sports book experts. So, before we, we bring Alex on, a lot happened in sports this week. And this is a little bit unique because usually we have Luke on here to kind of keep me under control a little bit, I guess, and be the voice of reason. But over the course of the week, I've known this was coming. I've been making a list of, of the sports topics and I'm going to kind of give my opinion on a lot of the stuff that's happened this week. I think first, let, let's start with the Celtics. Crazy situation with the Celtics. Uh, just a couple years ago, we thought that there was a potential dynasty brewing there. A lot of young talent with Tatum and Brown. Kyrie was there. Obviously he left, but you know, you got... Cardiac Kemba and some of those other guys on that team, Marcus Smart. And I think, you know, everybody thought there was a situation where potentially Brad Stevens was setting himself up to be, you know, one of the best coaches, if not, you know, one of the best young coaches. And the trajectory of his career had him looking like he was going to be potentially could be one of the best coaches of all time, doing it at both the collegiate level, taking a team like Butler, a mid-major program to you know, the NCAA tournament, NCAA championship game, and then going to Boston and playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, three out of five years or or something along that lines. But, you know, they just couldn't get over the top. They just couldn't get over the top. They had some injuries this year. The Kyrie situation a couple years ago hurt them. You know, I think they were planning on having that sort of superstar to play alongside Tatum, who's grown into a superstar in his own right, and Brown is, is the third option, and Kyrie sort of threw a little bit of a wrench in the gears on that. You know, it's just that team has overachieved. They've done things that, you know, teams with players that young probably shouldn't be able to do, but they were never able to get over the hump. And once they were eliminated from the playoffs last week, you now see that Danny Ainge has stepped away. He's no longer in the front office leading the front office initiative for that storied franchise. Brad Stevens then elects to say, you know what, maybe maybe I don't want to coach anymore. And now he's gone up to the front office and and they're looking for a new head coach, the next head coach to lead That team, 16 championships, one of the most storied franchises in NBA history. And it's just interesting to see how over the course of 24 months, maybe the last two calendar years, that team has gone from young talent emerging, could be a team that goes to multiple NBA finals, potentially wins multiple championships, too. Now they're in a little bit of transition A little bit of chaos going on there. What's going to happen? you got to think, you know, how's this going to impact some of these young players like Tatum and Brown? So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Celtics moving forward. I know they have named quite a few guys as potential candidates. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see the direction that they go. Chauncey Billups is a name that's being mentioned for, Several jobs, I think Jason Kidd, teams are looking at Jason Kidd. Juwan Howard all of a sudden after a good year at Michigan where you know Juwan couldn't get even an interview for an NBA position, and now he's being considered for the Celtics job and the Portland job. So there's quite a few guys. You're going to hear a lot of the same names for a lot of these openings. It's just interesting to see how that Celtics organization has gone from this could be the team of the future with the coach of the future too an organization in disarray. It just shows you how much that league can change in a two-year period. The Lakers, I, you know, you can't talk about the NBA. You can't talk about the NBA playoffs without talking about the Lakers. You got LeBron walking off the court five minutes early in game four. You have LeBron exiting the playoffs for, in the first round for the first time in his 18-year career. There's been quite a bit of the media has not been kind to Anthony Davis, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal on the TNT telecast, calling him street clothes because he can't stay healthy. And look, I mean, the reality is, is that he, you know, has been injury prone. He's a young guy. Guys get hurt earlier in their in their, early in their career. Very rarely are they able to just all of a sudden become healthy players. I'm not going to write AD off. I think he's still an excellent basketball player. He's a top five player in the NBA, but it's interesting to see once he was hurt, and frankly, he was never really healthy. That team, you know, Luke and I talked a couple weeks ago where I talked about him being a seven seed, and Luke said, you know, they're not really a seven seed. I mean, that was a seven seed. The reality is, is that team was a seven seed. It's tough to watch LeBron go out early. I'm sure the NBA doesn't like LeBron going out early. And, you know, this is the first – this will be the first NBA Finals since 2010 where the Lakers – excuse me, where LeBron or Steph Curry was not playing in the NBA Finals. So it's going to be interesting. You know, the LeBron situation to me is always dynamic. He's 36 years old. He's in the 18th year of his career. He has seemed to be able to withstand – the temptations of father time thus far in his career. I certainly will not go on record saying that I think that, you know, he's done or that he's still not an elite player, or frankly that he's not a top five player in the NBA, but you could definitely see there in that series, he was tired both physically and mentally. Uh, LeBron's gone through a lot of long runs, long seasons, Playoff runs, championship runs, throw Team USA in there. The guy's had a lot of, he's got a lot of miles on his body. Oh, not to mention, you know, they ran deep into the year last year. I think the bubble ended in October and they turn around and they start the NBA season December ish, I guess on Christmas Day or whatever. So, Luke and I are, are huge fans of LeBron. I've been watching LeBron since he was 16 years old. I've been watching LeBron for 20 years. Uh, and it it's going to end eventually. I'm not ready to write LeB- LeBron off. I think the walking off in game four was just frustration. He took a lot of heat for walking away with five minutes left in the game. You never do that. I'm, I'm not going to make any excuses for him for that. But LeBron needs a summer off. He needed an early exit. The guy needs to take some time. He needs to get healthy. He needs to relax. He needs to get his body right. Anthony Davis needs to get his body right. I think that team still has another long playoff run, You know, potentially another championship run in them. But there's a lot of teams coming in the Western Conference. Utah's not going away. Phoenix isn't going away. Denver's still playing in the playoffs. They're getting Jamal Murray back next year. You've seen Michael Porter Jr., emerge. Jokic is an MVP candidate. He's probably going to win the MVP. So Denver's not going away. Golden State's going to be back in some form or fashion. Who knows what's going to happen with Portland. That'll be interesting, but I'm not like writing LeBron off, but he did look tired, both mentally and physically. Anthony Davis needs to get right. That Lakers team has a lot of questions salary cap situation to some of the guys that they brought in this year, come back next year. Just a lot of questions there. We'll be evaluating that over the summer and into next NBA season. Coach K has announced that he's going on his retirement tour. This upcoming college basketball season will be coach K's final season on the heels of Roy Williams sort of retiring I guess it's never unexpected when these guys who are in their sixties and seventies retire, but it certainly takes you by surprise when the programs are still relatively successful. I know it was rumored when Roy Williams retired, that he did not like the way the game was going, the direction, the one and done's the way that puts pressure on the program also, the, the, the player likeness situation that's coming, paying college players, the dynamic and the pressure that that, that that's going to put on the program. I know that was rumored. Roy never actually came out and said it, but it was rumored that he talked about that in back channels. Hubert Davis, who was the number one guy. On the bench at North Carolina, who had played at North Carolina, took over the head coaching role. Now you see Coach K retire or announce that he's going to be retiring after next season. He did come out and say that it has nothing to do with the changing dynamic, the changing landscape in college basketball. He just wants to spend more time with his wife. He wants to spend more time with his family. He's been coaching for a very long time. He wants, he he's, he's done with it. I mean, there comes a point in time. I think we all want to retire. Some of us want to retire when we're 50. Some of us talk about work until we're 70, but eventually at some point you want to reap the the fruits of your labor over, over the course of your career. And you want to spend time with your family. He wants to spend time with his wife. You know what? We love coach K. Duke is a storied program because of Mike Krzyzewski. Luke is a, is a huge Duke fan, even though he's from Ohio. I, I guess if you made me pick, I would say that I'm a Carolina fan. When you live in Greensboro, North Carolina, look, when you live in North Carolina, you kind of have to pick one or the other. It's kind of forced upon you. So I guess I would say I'm a Carolina fan, but I'm not a Carolina fan in the way that I live and die with this rivalry, the way I do with Michigan, Ohio state or whatever. So, you know, shout out to coach case, shout out to his career. I, I hope that he's, just truly wanting to step away. There's no health related issues or anything like that. He's just ready for the the next phase of his life, spending time with his family. And and I wish him nothing but the best. You got John Shire stepping in, who was a great player at Duke and, you know, spent some time overseas and things like that. Came back and coached. He's been on the bench for, I don't know, five, six, seven years, probably at this point. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to watching Hubert Davis and John Shire go against each other into the future. Golf, you know, we talk a lot of golf on this show. I want to talk about the It's Brooksy stuff with Bryson DeChambeau and, and Brooks Koepka. Uh, there is serious rivalry brewing there that I think is going to be outstanding for golf. These guys are taking it to the next level. Let me take a step back. Brooks Koepka is taking it to the next level. So let's rewind PGA Championship Sunday. They're interviewing Brooks as he comes off of the 18th green after Phil wins. Golf Channel is asking him questions as he's talking. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau kind of walks through. I don't know if he said something. There's a couple stories where, as he was walking through, he was answering a question to the Golf Network about putts and lining up his putts and the wind being an impact on putts. And some people said that uh, DeChambeau said, well, you got to start it on the right line, Brooksy." Others say it was just that DeChambeau wears those metal spikes and he was walking on concrete and he sounded like a Clydesdale. My guess is it's probably the latter because I've watched the clip several times and it didn't sound like DeChambeau said anything to Kepka as he was walking behind him. But you could just see Kepka hates that guy so much that he completely lost his train of thought while he's being interviewed. On the golf network, it wasn't live, thankfully, and just rolls his eyes and says, you know, this fucking guy or whatever. I can't believe him. Spews out a couple expletives and it goes from there. Well, that leaks out to social media. There's more exchanges. DeChambeau claims he's taking the high road. The guy's unlikable to begin with. Kepka's super likable. We talked about it a couple weeks ago on our wrap-up of the PGA championship, but now it's gone a step further. The, this past week at the Memorial, <laughs> fans were following Bryson DeChambeau around and calling him Brooksy. <laughs> and De- De- DeChambeau was having those fans escorted off the golf course. He was having them ejected from the tournament. Well. <laughs> That's on Saturday. Kepka goes on social media and he does a video for Michelob Ultra. And you know, the camera cuts to him, and he's like, Hey, it's Brooksy. And he's talking about giving away free cases of beer to any of the fans who had their day cut unexpectedly short. I mean, it it was it was one of the funniest things I've I've really seen from two athletes who clearly don't like each other. It's petty on a, on a whole nother level. And I'm here for the petty. I, I love the petty and, you know, Kepka just clearly does it better than DeChambeau. He's much more likable. DeChambeau is calling for the PGA to kind of manage the situation and manage the fans and stuff like that. That's just not the way to do it. You know, I I'm sure if Fans were following Brooks Kepka around and calling him Bryson or whatever. He would just laugh it off and wouldn't even care. So, you know, it just further lends to Deshambeau being not very likable. The stero- you know, it all started with Kepka making a reference to him potentially using steroids and those kind of things. So it's just interesting. I love it. I'm here for it. I can't wait to see more of it. I'm really looking forward to potentially these guys being in a pairing at some point. Maybe on a Sunday for a, a major or something like that. It'll be very outstanding. I'm really excited to get Luke's take on that, and when he comes back from the beach, we may revisit that topic. But the It's Brooksy thing with Kepka and Deshambo is is outstanding. Kawhi Leonard. We'll touch on this real quick. Forty points in an elimination game in Game Six, and then really dominated game seven in a much more complete way. He was one assist shy of a triple double. That was a very interesting series between the Clippers and and the Mavericks. I think you, you look at it from a very high level. The Clippers were under a lot of pressure because of the early exit in the playoffs. Last year, bringing in Kawhi and Paul George, you know, just the scrutiny that that team took along with, the Lakers winning the, the the championship last year. It was really good to see them go down 0-2 in that series to the Mavericks, losing the first two games on the road and then finding a way to come back and win. They have Utah next, but just the way that Kawhi and, and really Paul George played well in game six and game seven too, which for those of you who watched the bubble last year in the elimination game against Denver, that they blew the 3-1 lead, you know, Paul George was... Kawhi was bad. Paul George was, was atrocious. And to see those two play well, see the supporting cast play well, Bobby Jackson, uh, Luke Kennard, that team's fun. And, you know, when did, when did Nick Batum become Boris DL? I mean, that's another thing I I wish Luke was here so we could talk about it. Boris DL, for those of you, you know, he played with the San Antonio Spurs on some of their second string of championship teams. He was an undersized center. Nick Batum sort of filled that role. He's playing center, small ball center. I I love that team. They have one of the Morris twins. He shot lights out in game seven on Sunday. It, It was, it's great to watch. I'm a huge fan. For those of you that listened to the show, you know that I've sort of been picking them to potentially win or make it to the NBA finals for, for the last two years. They have Utah in this next round. It's going to be interesting. In the playoff preview, I picked Utah to advance to the finals. It'll be interesting to see that Utah team's fun to watch. They shoot a lot of threes. They play really good defense. So that'll be a really good matchup for the Clippers moving forward. Let's go to the other side, James Harden. The James Harden industry. The James Harden injury, he's got the hamstring thing. He hasn't really been healthy for a while. He ended the season injured. Now 45 seconds into round two of the playoffs, he's injured again. The Nets found a way to win, but, you know, the Bucks shot like 20% from three. They missed a lot of wide-open shots. The Nets aren't really known for their defense Game two of that series is tonight. We're recording on Monday night. So it's just going to be interesting. That whole dynamic, that whole series. With James Harden, they're a super team. Without him, they're Kyrie, Durant, and a bunch of of role players. So James Harden, really, he's the MVP candidate of the three. He's the difference on that team. I think a lot of people are discounting potentially how valuable he is. Kyrie, we, we've talked about this at nauseum. Kyrie and Kevin Durant aren't good with the media. They get frustrated very easily. I'm fascinated by this Nets team and the way that they're going to look moving forward and how much of an impact. I don't believe that Harden's going to play for at least the rest of this series. And without James Harden, can they beat the Milwaukee Bucks? I'm not going to say they can't but I think it definitely puts it in question. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. It's something to keep an eye on. Finally, Team USA beating Mexico in the final of the CONCACAF Nations League. Last night, I was up till, Jesus, 1 o'clock in the morning. That was a crazy game. Mexico scores with a minute. They score a minute into the game. USA just starts scraping their way back, scraping their way back. There was some questionable penalty calls late both ways in the box for penalty kicks. Pulisic hits his, becomes Captain America, which he was already, but it just further sort of starts to elevate his stardom. And I've been talking about Christian Pulisic for the last, I don't know, 18 months, two years. I mean, this guy won the Champions League first American to, to be on a, a European club that wins the championship Champions League. And then the next week wins, you know, the, the CONCACAF against Mexico. So it's crazy to watch this team as they begin to ascend into a global power. The average age of this team is like 24 years, 100 days or something. They're very young. 23 players on this team. 20 of them play for European club teams. Only three players on the whole team are on MLS squads. The dynamic, the structure of this team has changed so dramatically over the last four or five years. And it started with Jurgen Klinsmann making it a more international-based team. And ladies and gentlemen, When team USA is good, people watch and we're going to be in the world cup. And this team's going to be together for the next eight years. I mean, Pulisic's 24 years old, so he could be playing the next three world cups on this team. A lot of these younger guys, Rainier, I mean, Rainier scored a goal and had an assist. He's 18 years old. He's 18 years old. He plays for Dortmund in Germany uh McKinney was the player of the game he's 24 he plays for Manchester City I believe or Juventus you know I mean they got a guy that plays for Manchester City they got a guy who plays for Juventus they got a guy that plays for Real Madrid for Christ's sake so a lot of these guys are going to start to become household names and it's fun and it's exciting and I I beg all of you out there who can hear my voice and who listen to our podcast to get involved in team USA. Now start to watch these guys start to learn their names, start to get excited about their club teams. Giovanni Rani, Like I said, 18 years old, Weston McKinney. And let me see Weston plays for, he plays for Juventus. He was the player of the game. Who's some other Zach Stefan, who is the starting goalkeeper, He plays for Manchester City. He was pulled for the backup goalkeeper who had uh, Ethan Horvath, who had the huge, huge block. I mean, there's just a lot of names on here that, you know, people aren't used to. People are used to Clint Dempsey. They're used to Josie Altador. They're used to, you know, these names that we've been watching over the last eight to ten years who – frankly, haven't made the past two World Cups. So, you know, watch Team USA, get out there, watch them more, and get excited about this team. So now let's bring in friend of show, Alex Gilstrap, co-host of Believe in NFL Draft Prospects. He's also a contributor to the NFL Draft Bible on Sports Illustrated. And I guess today, technically technically you are the co-host of the water cooler welcome to yeah. the yeah
1: no yeah now that Luke's not here I guess I'm second fiddle today
2: <laughs> no second fiddle we're all partners here so we had you on the week of the draft obviously was a busy time for you you had a lot happening a lot going on in your head so kind of two parts to the interview today I want to take a step back and just kind of recap the draft a little bit. I got a couple of very specific questions there, and then I want to get into the process of getting from when the draft ends to the college football season, and then sort of give the fans of the water cooler a little bit of insight into some of the guys that they should be watching next year, college football season, and what to expect going into the 2022 draft. Sound good? Sounds good. Let's do it. Perfect. Perfect. All right, so let's start. The draft is what? We're, we're a month, five weeks post yeah. the NFL draft. It's always sort of like uh, Christmas for us, for the mm-hmm. guys that, that really enjoy football, enjoy the NFL, enjoy college football, enjoy watching their teams get better. We talked about it when you were on the show in April, quarterbacks being the glamour position. Five guys went in the first round. You had Lawrence go one, Zach Wilson, two, Trey Lance, a little bit of a surprise going three. Then you had
1: Fields at 11.
2: Fields at 11 to Chicago trading up, and then Mac Wilson at 15. Which guy do you think got drafted into the best overall situation? Maybe not the guy that's going to make his team better, but the situation that was best for that player moving forward to be successful.
1: Yeah. You know, one, one kind of landing spot that was surprising that I think is going to be very beneficial for both sides is Justin Fields uh, to, you know, uh, 11 to the Chicago bears, obviously selecting originally at 20th overall, this is a team that's not far off from being a playoff contender, someone that's, that's going to be making a playoff run. And I, I felt for the last couple of years that they're a quarterback away. They're, they're really that centerpiece Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles have kind of headed that, that quarterback room for the last few seasons. And, they've that's what's been holding this team back they've had the defense for a handful of years almost a decade now they just haven't been able to figure out the offensive side of the football and they have some playmakers on the offensive side and you know uh, Darnell Mooney who they got last year the rookie who kind of broke out of course Allen Robinson being one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and then David Montgomery who's a solid running back workhorse running back in their backfield so Justin Fields I think is going to go into a good situation but I think the best situation as far as Lasting success in the NFL of San Francisco, Trey Lance. This is this was yeah. the, kind of the main talking point we had last time I was on where I was telling you, I think Trey Lance is going to be a 49er. And, you know, it came to fruition on draft night. And I just think it's a really good situation for him. He does have Jimmy Garoppolo there who, despite, you know, just popular belief that Garoppolo is just not very good, he's fine enough to play if Trey Lance is not ready. That's, sure. that's just the fact of the matter. And Trey Lance is just one of those quarterbacks that I think with the physical t- school – Physical skill set that he does have, both athletically and physically, with his arm, he's someone that, with with the proper coaching, the ceiling is astronomical. And he's going to San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan, who is known as one of the quarterback gurus in the NFL. So Trey Lance, I think, is just going to get the right kind of coaching, both from a mental standpoint, from both Shanahan and um, Jimmy Garoppolo but then Kyle Shanahan is going to be able to really fine tune some of the, some of the nuances to the position that Trey Lance didn't quite get at the FCS level and only one year of starting as a quarterback in college. So I think Trey Lance, I mean, the ceiling is just like like, we talked about in April, it's just out of this world. And I think, that if there's going to be a landing spot that's going to get the ceiling out of Trey Lance, it's going to be San Francisco with that, that, you know, uh, expansive running game with multitude of running backs, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel's going to be mm-hmm. healthy and George Kittle being a security blanket as a tight end. They have everything in place, including the coaching staff to find a successful quarterback post Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think Trey Lance is going to be in a, a really good situation.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, obviously fields is going to walk into Chicago He's going to elevate that team right away, but you got a guy like Trey Lance who isn't going to be forced to start day one. He needs that time. Elite talent, elite future, you know, for for him, elite arm talent. You know, you, you heard all the guys, all the talking heads talk about the way that he reads defenses and those kind of things. He just needs more time, right. you know. And he's in this perfect situation. I agree with you totally. In the perfect situation to be able to sit there, Jimmy Garoppolo can. Also help him be a little bit of a mentor. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's you know not going to talk to him in the quarterback room and those kind of things. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, let's move on to you know reaches. Every year you kind of look at you say okay which guys are in the best situation and then you start to look at which teams probably reached for a player that they didn't necessarily have to. Who do you think, and, and let's focus primarily probably early, yeah. which guy got, who was the biggest reach there in the first first day or two?
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're just looking at the first round, you know, there's there's people that want to talk about Alex Leatherwood, that was a reach to go to the Las Vegas Raiders at 17, Jamin Davis, linebacker out of Kentucky, he had some fans, he had some height, weight, speed, athleticism at his size, going to Washington at 19 was a reach, but For me, the biggest reach as far as where I had him graded versus Mm. where he was selected was Joe Tryon, the last pick of day one Mm. to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is uh, he's a defensive end from Washington. For those that don't know, and he he primarily wins by being a long athlete, and that's what he's built. As he's built as this athletic outside rusher, outside track rusher that has all the length in the world, and and he has length. I get it. I just don't think he's quite the athlete that some want to build him up to be, and someone with the body shape and composition of Joe Tryon that has to win with athleticism. I don't think it's quite the athleticism you want. Like Caleb on chase on was, is a prime example. Aziz Ojalary, those are outside track rushers that we've seen in the last couple of years that are going to be primarily three, four outside linebackers. That's probably going to be asked to drop back into coverage. Some that I just, I, I see the athleticism. The athleticism warrants you to select him in the first round. Of course, Aziz Ojolari had some some health issues come up towards the end of the draft process. But Joe Tryon, I just don't see that same level of athleticism. And with his body composition as it is right now, I just don't see him having any kind of power to his game at the NFL level. He was able to long arm a little bit in the Pac-12 uh, there for Washington, but it's just his skill set, the way he runs to the you know gets to the quarterback. I just I don't see it translating well immediately. And for a team like Tampa, Tampa's in a win-now window, obviously. Tom Brady, they just came off the Super Bowl. They have two good years of Tom Brady left to go and get another Lombardi, maybe two more Lombardis. That's the goal. And I just feel like Joe Tryon's one of those players that has a longer projection that doesn't really give you much in year one or year two that you're hoping by year three, year four is a better football player. So, you know, I understand, you know, they didn't lose a starter. That this draft wasn't quite that important for them. They have every key piece coming back. But I would have liked to have seen them go with someone that has a little bit more nuance to their game, someone that's a little bit more technically refined, that knows how to win right now. And I feel like can win right now. And Joe Tryon to me is just not the answer for a team in that kind of situation.
2: All right, so your uh, Jason Jason liked is that is that is that the GM Jason of the Tampa Light, Bay? Yeah. So you're on the clock. Who would you have taken there if you were at Tampa Bay?
1: I look, I like the idea of going pass rush. I know they have some notable pass rushers in Shaq Barrett, and they have some other guys there, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, who had an amazing playoff and and Super Bowl there. But if you're going to stick with pass rush, I liked Carlos Basham for them in that situation. Yeah. I think it still would have been a little bit of a reach from a value perspective, but Carlos Basham out of weight force is someone yeah. that I think could come in right away and he can, he can defend the run because he's strong. He's built two seventy pounds. He can hold up against the run, but he has a very, he has very, very good hands at the same time that can, that can shed blocks. And I think it's going to translate a lot better early. I don't think the ceiling is quite there, of someone like Joe Tryon, Greg Russo, who was someone drafted in that similar range. But I think he's going to be someone you're going to get more of an immediate impact, which is what Tampa, I feel like from just a roster construction standpoint, needed to address. And they, I just feel like they failed to do that with that. And then Kyle Trask later on in the draft.
2: Who took your guy, the offensive lineman that you love so much out of ECU? Who took him?
1: Dante Smith. He went to Cincinnati. Did he really? Yeah, he went to Cincinnati. So Cincinnati, that was a big storyline, you know, going Jamar Chase instead of protecting Joe Burrow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they followed it up on day two, taking two offensive tackles, Jackson Carmen out of Clemson being the first, who I don't love. Uh, I don't think that I thought it was a reach in that situation. But to come back and get Deontay Smith, someone that, like you said, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, I thought was was a very valuable pick, where they got him, because I think they got him.
2: Like third, fourth, fourth, right?
1: Third, fourth, yeah. Somewhere somewhere in that third, fourth range. I think it was the fourth, actually. So, you know, to get him in the fourth round, someone who I believe was a day two pick, especially with the senior bowl showing that he had, um, you know, I think it kind of made up for – if you honestly switched the Jackson-Carmen pick and Deontay Smith pick, I like their situation a lot better. So, at the end of the day, it, it don't matter.
2: Well, they're going to need it. They're going to need it because, Definitely. you know, they got to protect that guy. Okay, so – We talked about the quarterbacks. We talked about the biggest reach. Let's, and maybe this is a quarterback. I don't know. Which player do you think, you know what? Let's not do quarterbacks. Okay. Outside of the quarterback position, which player do you believe improved their team the most? Probably a position need, um, you know, which guy strikes, you know, sticks out in your mind?
1: Um, oh, I have two, and I, I'm kind of cheating. You're telling me to give you one. I'm going to give you two, but first yeah. one is be quick. JC Horn to Carolina. <laughs> That's Men- your guy, man. <laughs> I love JC. It's a, it's a mentality thing. I think he's going to come in there. They lost Luke Keekley, obviously, a year ago, a year plus ago. Um, so to bring in someone of J.C.'s caliber mentally, I think is going to be really v- vital to that defense, just having someone that's such an alpha that really is going to, to put in the put his head down and get to work. I think is, you know, have a young guy like that in the building is always going to it's going to hold the, the veterans accountable, but it's also going to bring those young guys up with them. So J.C. Horn, I think is going to be a more valuable pick than a lot of people are talking about with Patrick Sertan and some of these other corners off the board. Uh, but I'm going to go Micah Parsons. Michael Parsons going to the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys at 12 with their tr- their mini trade back with Philadelphia. Um, this is someone who I think on the field is a top five player in this class. I had mm-hmm. him rated in the, in the top five in my, in my big board. So to get him at 12, I think you have a value there. And then of course you traded back, you got you know, uh, you know know more draft capital out of it and you still got your guy, someone that plays a position that's gonna be, he's gonna be versatile. He can play the mic, he can play inside linebacker. He can rush the edge. He actually went into Penn State as an edge rush uh, recruit that kind of that kind of transformed his, his play style into more of an inside linebacker throughout the course of his career. But Dallas, you saw the linebacker play. They have some big names, Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Esch, but very, very disappointing. You're starting to see uh, injuries in Jalen Smith kind of nag and, and, and bring him down. Leighton Vander Esch had probably the worst year of his young career to this point. So bringing in someone of Micah Parsons' caliber, I think, in that new Dan Quinn defense that's transitioning to Dallas is he, he's just going to be a centerpiece and the athlete that he is, the the mindset that he plays with when he's on the field. I just think that he's just going to really, really take over the middle of that defense in Dallas and, and hopefully kind of turn around that linebacker core.
2: I love both of those. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell myself a little bit here. So we were at the, we were at a bar local bar here in Greensboro. We're in, we're in Panther territory, and there was some Panther fans around. And one of the guys, one of the Panther fans kind of stepped in and said, man, that front office, they know what they're doing now. I said, listen, that that tells me that that the coach was the one that was – because of what you said on the yeah. show where you said, watch who drafts J.C. Horn. because If he goes
1: yeah, ahead coaches.
2: of Sertan, that tells you that the coaching staff – Has a lot more impact on the pick than somewhere else, and so I used your little tidbit there to make yeah, it's it's true. You know, someone of
1: yeah, someone of JC's JC Horns, his mentality, coaches fall in love with that, and like you said, that's exactly it, and that's kind of like what I was saying in April. Whoever drafts JC Horn, their coaching staff has a lot of say. And that makes a lot of sense for Carolina. Someone that yeah. brought in Matt Rule to kind of yep. take over that, that, that team and rebuild what rebuild. they have there in Carolina. Yeah. And he's he's, you know, things are pointing in the right direction. We'll see how Sam Darnold turns out and um, his transition to Carolina. That that offense should be a little bit more explosive, if anything. JC Horn, I think, is was a great pick for them.
2: Great pick for them. So let's transition. Let's start the transition to transition in next year for a guy like you right i mean this is what you do so literally on what is it it's saturday now right it's saturday that is round is is round 7 so literally when the 7th round is over if not before you're already looking to april 2022 yeah so, so i guess walk the fans of the water cooler through What what does that process look like for you specifically, basically from when round seven ends all the way to the beginning of the college football season? Because when you get new tape, obviously that adds another dynamic.
1: Yeah. You know, for me personally, I know I'm speaking for a few others that are kind of in a similar spot as me that I I work alongside with NFL draft stuff. When the draft is over, I'm kind of bored of the 2021 class. I've been talking about these guys for 11 12 months at this point so you know it's finally over you can decompress i don't the, the wins the draft grades those articles are great for fans that this is kind of their first exposure but for us that do this year round like i don't care because i have my own opinions i don't need to read what anyone else says about the 12th overall pick and what that grade is i'm just kind of done i just want to decompress i want to just enjoy and kind of think of, think over you know the the draft strategy some teams had but I really just take a break. I almost take like a little mini vacation, and usually, what I do is I, I I take the whole month of May off. I just kind of allow myself to enjoy. I enjoy watching softball, the women's college world series. This is what I do every year, the men's college world series. And then once all the you know the college baseball, softball stuff kind of rounds out, I kind of I kind of get into the 2022 class a little slower. But this year, I was excited. Uh, I guess I I didn't get my fix in the 2021 class because I was excited to get back into it. So I actually got back into it. Uh, maybe three weeks ago, and on the you know NFL prospects pod, which is my my main podcast. Um, you know we've been we've already been starting to talk about the 2022 class. So if you want a podcast where you we're already talking about Spencer Rattler and some of these some of these high profile uh pro uh prospects coming into the year, we're already underway. We're three episodes into the 2022 class.
2: I love that. I I listen to you guys every week. I love what you guys do. You and Ryan, and then. Obviously, the host. The host's Joe. name is Joe, right? Joe. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah Joe. Joe DeLeon. and he's he's more of like a host. I, I don't think
2: he kind of digs into the tape as much as you guys do. Exactly. Correct? Yeah. No. So he he's doesn't. really he's, just he sort of the, just keeps
1: us in line. <laughs> he's the moderator, right? Yeah, I mean, he is.
2: I I love what you guys do there. So let's start talking about some of these guys. Let's do it. You know. We always got to start with the glamour position. You talked about Spencer Radler. There's some other guys, the kid from USC that, you know, talk about, let, let's keep it specifically maybe to the first round quarterbacks. Yeah, I know there's always three or four names. Talk about those guys, where they play, maybe a little bit of height, weight stuff, and then how you would rank them as it stands today before we start to see games coming in August.
1: Yeah. So for me, you know, I, I the, we the way we do summer scouting, the way we do it through the podcast, we go position by position. So we started obviously the quarterback position, the most exciting position, and you know for me, um, just talking about some of these top quarterbacks going through their film. Spencer Rattler to me, I know there's some off the field concerns. You know there's some leadership, some some attitude issues that you know people that watch that QB one series that goes out. Uh, just weren't a fan of him. Got turned off by him very early on into his high school transition into college years, and I, I was a part of that crowd. Don't get me wrong, but on the field, I mean Spencer Rattler, he shows a lot of promise. A little bit thinner frame, but you know six one, you know right at two hundred pounds. I mean he's got a fine frame, but the arm talent, he throws the ball just so easy, and you know that's what you like to see when projecting to the next level, someone that can threaten all over the field. Um, you know, and, and, can, and can do that at a consistent rate. So for me, Spencer Rattler right now is going to be number one. I think he's in a good situation to hold on to that, compete for a Heisman, compete for a national championship because Oklahoma's returning a lot. They're returning a lot, especially on the offensive side of the football. Uh, you know, obviously they're losing, um, uh, some some defensive help some corners and, and such but you know depending on how those those pan out the transition I think that offense is going to be super explosive so I think I don't see him really going anywhere someone that's getting a lot of praise um that I just don't see it as much I'll talk about Sam Howell out of North Carolina North Carolina is my my second school like I'm a Georgia fan through and through North Carolina has always been kind of my my second team that I kind of root for so I was really excited about you know North Carolina finally having a legit quarterback prospect and I just wasn't too enamored either. Yeah. I mean, he's a good football player. I love his, the word moxie gets thrown around mm-hmm. in, in circle NFL draft circles all the time. And I hate using it, but he does, he kind of has that kind of game like scenario. Like he just knows how to win. Like his fourth quarters are always strong. He's clutch. He has poise, but physically, you know, you have a shorter frame. I know he's about the same size as Spencer Rattler, a little bit thicker, um, so he doesn't wow you with height. He doesn't wow you with arm strength. He has an average arm. I, I, he, he throws a pretty deep ball, but I wouldn't say velocities on his side. And, you know, I think just everything about him, athleticism, it's a bunch of average. And and that kind of scares me, especially for someone who is losing Daz Newsom, who went to Chicago Bears, losing Diami Brown, who went to the Washington football team, losing Javante Williams, who went uh, to Denver, and then losing uh, Michael Carter, the other yeah. running back to North Carolina. I mean, he's losing four of the best weapons in college football, obviously all being drafted within the first four or five rounds, you know, how is he going to elevate the level of play of North Carolina from 2020 to 2021 when he's losing all of the, you know, the, the, the ball production that he is, it's, it's going to be tough for him. So that's someone I'm, I'm kind of wary of, um, you know, going into the, this, this coming season, if, if he's going to be able to elevate build off of that 2020 season, when so much production is going, you know, going to the NFL uh one more I got to give you one more sleeper not really a sleeper kind of a sleeper someone that I'm higher on that I'm excited about going forward that's Carson Strong out of Nevada Carson Strong yeah big bigger body like six three two ten a little bit bigger than these other guys at the top but let's just talk about checking boxes because that's that's what the quarterback position is all about is how many boxes can you check and for me frame checks the box he's six three two hundred plus you're good um arm strength he can push this ball anywhere he wants arm strength's not a question at all check the box athleticism he moves the pocket really well i wouldn't say he's a dynamic runner um but you know he can run the football he can pick up 10 to 12 yards which is plenty uh for me and my liking especially when he has the arm talent that he does checks the box uh like i said pocket management checks the box he knows how to work the pocket and nevada really really tasked him with with having an understanding of the offense and making reads and making adjustments. He does full field reads more than anyone in the 2021 class. Anyone, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, you know, Trey Lance, all of them. He makes more full field reads going from one to two to three in his progressions than anyone I saw in this past year's class, which is impressive coming from a school such as Nevada with the the physical talent he has and making checks at the line of scrimmage. He, he, puts his offensive line and he slides into the you know slides of protections he's he's checking the play at the line of scrimmage which is something you don't really see especially at the the level that he's playing at at Nevada someone that's not you know at Alabama not at Clemson he's not at one of these schools um where you expect him to be you know this top talent you know he's, he's able to make the reads mentally he has a skill set physically I think this is someone that is going to come onto the scene later just coming from a school like Nevada but someone that wants this combine, hopefully, you know, I'm I'm assuming we'll have a combine and pro days and all this. He's going to light it up. Assuming he can stay healthy,
2: love it, love love it, love it, love it. That's a guy I'll be watching uh, yes. on Thursdays, Fridays, Probably, yes, Saturdays.
1: That, that's the best part. That's the no. That's the best part with Carson Strong. Nevada plays a lot of Thursdays and Fridays. Yep. That'll be fun.
2: Yeah, that's great. So let's move away from the quarterbacks. Who's maybe one guy, two guys, the offensive skill players. Who do you think are the the one or two best offensive skill players in this draft? And you expect them to go very high uh, next April.
1: Yeah. You know, actually just uh, it was yesterday, or the day before I posted my top five running backs as I finalized those and, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit off the wall. You know, people love Brees Hall out of Iowa State, and I get it. He's a good football player. Early down back, kind of not to make a school-by-school, you know, kind of um, comparison here, but David Montgomery, similar skill set, not really going to do much in the passing game, not going to be have much value on third down. But if you give him a Tariq Cohen to pair with, I think Brees Hall can be very successful. But for me, the top two backs in this year's class is Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame someone that I think just has all the goods on and off the field. He said he he interviews great, but on the field, explosive. I mean, explosive. I went back and I watched uh, some of that playoff game and he just, he just looks like he's a little bit of a different athlete. Not at that stage on that, you know, caliber of athletes around him. Super impressive. He's a little bit of a smaller back, but he doesn't play like it. Uh, Contact balance, physicality, you know, at the point of attack, and then his pass protection, he'll take blitzing safeties off their off their feet. And you know, packing that into five foot nine, 190 pounds is really, really impressive to me. And then Eric Gray, Tennessee kid, he's transferring to Oklahoma. Another reason why I'm really high on this Oklahoma offense, Eric Gray is someone that I think you get him in space, and there's not many people that can keep up with his shiftiness and his elusiveness someone that can, that can work almost like an in-and-out move in basketball, Euro stepping down the field, keeping the safety off his heels, moving left to right, but doesn't lose any speed, doesn't doesn't lose any of that, that momentum going forward. So Eric Gray is someone that I think is going to be, especially in a wide-open offense, Oklahoma, who runs a lot of wide sets, give him some space, some draw plays up the middle, give him some room to run, some alleyways, and he's going to take off. I think Eric Gray is an exceptional talent. At wide receiver, had, oh go ahead. Yeah,
2: go. No, go, I was going to ask you if you had a chance to look at the wide receivers yet. Yeah,
1: so wide receivers, I'm finalizing kind of my top fives right now, and you know, this is a disappointing wide receiver class to this point relative to the last couple of years? And and you know, I'm almost spoiled because these last two years have been so unique. I mean, Jerry, Judy, CD Lamb, Justin Jefferson being last year's class, and of course the class we just had this year. Uh, having the athlete, the caliber of athletes that they did, you know, Jamar Chase and, and Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith was was an interesting evaluation. A little bit disappointed in this year's class. Is a little bit of up and down. But for me, someone I, I like a lot and who right now is slotted at my wide receiver one is Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. Okay. Uh almost similar to AJ Brown. Think AJ Brown with Traylon Burks. Tall a little lanky. Bit, yeah, he's a little well, a little thicker, but has long arms, okay. uh, just despite a little bit thick. Uh, play someone that really dominates as a, as a a screen receiver, someone that works a short to intermediate areas of the field, but has the physicality after the catch. And that's what makes him so unique. And that's what, you know, I, I missed on AJ Brown. I had him a little bit lower than I probably should have because I just didn't see a dynamic athlete, but I just, I I guess I didn't value at that time, you know, a couple of years ago, a few years ago when he was coming out, how important it is to have that yak ability, that ability to work after the catch and Mm -hmm. almost turn into that running back. Um, and I think I see a lot of the same the same stuff in Traylon Burks out of Arkansas coming from an offense with not a lot of talent. Felipe Franks at quarterback didn't give him too much favors, but mm-hmm. to get the ball in their hands, they threw him the screen pass over and over and over just to get the ball in this man's hands because he's their most dynamic playmaker, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the football. So someone I'm I'm looking out for that going through a quarterback change, obviously with Franks out to the NFL, um, but someone I'm really I'm really liking. Wide receiver two. It's tough. There's it's really a pick your pick your flavor. There's Chris Mm Olave, someone that's a route running guy. His 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 film's really not all that exciting, but he just does everything well. You know, small too. He's he's small, he's thin. Um, but he just finds he finds open areas of the field, soft spots and coverage, and he catches the football. And I can't hate him for that, but some people like Chris Olave, some people Ohio State, Garrett Wilson, another Ohio State wide receiver. Smaller guy, but really, really shifty, good mm-hmm. route runner, and and attacks the ball at the at the at the catch point really well. But he's smaller. Then there's George Pickens out of Georgia, and someone that, you know, I don't even think his his production to this point, and obviously the injury uh, you know, coming this year, this offseason, but I don't even think the production to this point speaks to the level of player he is, just because Georgia's kind of had some limiting quarterback play over the last couple of years. Um, until JT Daniels came into the fold the last few weeks of the season, but George Pickens is a rare athlete. I mean, if you pull up George Pickens' highlight tape, you will think this is the best wide receiver we've had in a handful <laughs> of years. Just because there's no his catch radius is out of this world. There's no ball that's too far away. Whether it's di- you know diving out all the way full extension or it's going up and getting it, I mean he can really get the ball from anywhere. Go down and get it, coming across the middle of the field, he can really do it all. Um, but there's some there's some attitude questions with him really? you know he's 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 one of the most penalized players as far as unsportsmanlike conduct in the last couple of seasons just it's real petty stuff it's you know squirting water on people as they're coming to the sideline or it's you know just talking he got in a fight against a georgia tech defensive back his true freshman season punched him in the face mask which punching guys in the helmet i don't it's understand so
2: dumb yeah so
1: you know there's some maturity questions there's some off the field concerns that that's part of the evaluation, whether some people want to exclude that and say, oh, we're just talking about the player on the field. I mean, we're talking about projecting them to the next level. And if you have that kind of, those kind of issues, you know, you're on, I was about to say off the field, but on the field, but mentally you have some, some, some deficiencies as far as that goes. I don't want to use deficiencies, but you know, you're just, you're not mature enough to, to put your team in a situation where you're making the best decision for your team. There's some questions there. So wide receiver two for me is kind of a question mark. Drake London out of USC, who's not a very good athlete, but no one can tackle him. Uh, John Mechie out of Alabama is another Mm -hmm. one that, you know, it just seems like he does everything right. And of course, Alabama just breeds uh, good athletes that just do everything right. As far as translating to the NFL level right now, it's George Pickens uh, on the field. He's just a freak. Uh, You know, the, the frame he has, the ability to get any ball that's stone in his vicinity is, is really, really impressive. And I think he's a better athlete than even his route running to this point would suggest. He's just always been a, a better football player, a better athlete than everyone around him, dating back to high school, being 6'5", 210. And he, he, you don't have to be that good at route running. You don't have to run pristine routes because all the quarterback has to do is throw it up to you and you're yeah. going to go get it. This is going to be something that he's going to be tested with and tasked with yeah. getting better at as his as his career unfolds. Because at the NFL level, Six five two ten. I mean, it's still impressive, but it's not. It's not quite as as you know, holy as it is at the collegiate level in the SEC. So George Pickens is going to have to pick up on a few things and get a little better and a little bit more of the smaller, you know, more intricate, uh, you know, traits as far as the position goes. But George Pickens is someone that I think the talent, the the size, the frame, the the catch point ability is there.
2: So one guy you didn't name, and obviously he's coming off of major injury is Justin Ross from Clemson. I'm, I'm curious, you know, you go back two years ago. He's like a top three or four pick, right? Yeah. I mean, he's he's going maybe the first nine quarterback off the board after that, that national championship game. And then, you know, he's got a major injury with his neck or whatever. Are you hearing – is there expectations – and and less what Dabo's saying, because obviously Dabo's right. just gonna say, oh my God, he looks amazing, right? Less what Dabo's saying, more what you know, media, local media people are saying. How is he looking? And is the expectation that he's going to come back and be the same player or the relatively the same player?
1: Well, I mean, everything you're hearing out of out of Clemson's camp and, and Ross's camp is that he's gonna be the player he was right. pre-surgery. And and this is more of a we have to see it you know uh, we haven't seen him in over a year so this is uh, you know almost two years we haven't seen him so um you know justin ross is someone that i think six four two oh five or so i mean big boy and he can play i mean you saw it in the college football playoffs. catch time, radius time. Catch radi- out of a sight. lot of the same things you like about george pickens you have to like about justin okay. ross as far as the 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 catch radius the size the length he can really do it all as far as that goes so this is this is He's being left out of a lot of the wide receiver conversation right now because he's really just a question mark, and he has a year. He has this 2020 season to kind of put himself back on the radar. And if he he shows he's capable of being the player that he was in 2019, he's going to shoot right back up into that top three, top five conversation easily. It's just just, you have to be wary of neck injuries are a little bit scary. Obviously, DK Metcalf, uh, similar situation with the neck coming out of college. Um, At least Justin Ross has a year to prove that he's good uh, that DK Metcalf didn't get, which led to his slide in the NFL draft a couple of years ago. So uh, or last year. So Justin Ross is someone that I think could easily be in this top three, especially in a down wide receiver class in my mind. Um, But we just we just got to see it.
2: Got to see it. So let's talk defense. Um, Who who are you liking right now to, to be the first defensive player off the board?
1: First defensive player off the board is Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. Right. Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah defensive end, right? Or I guess yeah. an edge.
1: Yeah. Defensive end. Yeah. Def- I, I would play him at 4 3 defensive end. Long, lanky, has every, but plays with power. Oh, he's, he's fun. I haven't dove deep in him yet because I'm going position by position, but someone that I've watched, obviously, from afar as I'm watching other Oregon players and people playing Oregon. And he's just a constant disruption. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's ridiculous how, how freakishly athletic. You know, this year we were kind of missing that bona fide edge rusher. We had Chase Young last year. We had uh, Nick Bosa the year before that. And, we, you know, we, we go back, dating back, every year there's that one guy at the defensive end position. I know Atlanta, for instance, was hoping to have one of those guys this year picking at number four, but there, there just wasn't. There wasn't someone that was worthy of a, a top five pick in this year's class to me. So uh, I think it would be a nice breath of fresh air to get one of those guys back in there.
2: So outside of Thibodeau, because he's obviously, you know, he's a, he's a top two or three pick uh, who's maybe a guy behind him. That's not as highly touted.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, someone that's similarly as far as highly touted Derek Sting- Stingley Jr. Someone we talked yeah, about. LSU feel, it feels corner. Like, feel, yeah. LSU corner. I feel like he's been a name for six years, but he's only going into his true juniors because as a true freshman, he bursts onto the scene and, was this phenomenal football player, Kyle Hamilton, uh, the safety out of Notre Dame, the free safety out of Notre Dame is an exceptional football player. 6'4", 205, hits you like a linebacker, but can cover the back end like Earl Thomas. I mean, this guy is an exceptional football player and is going to be the highest rated safety I think I've ever had. When really? it's all said and done. Yeah, Kyle do Hamilton. It. Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame, number 14. I, I just don't see how this guy walks away as – No, nothing more or nothing less than my number one safety I've evaluated in the four years I've done it. Wow. He's he's just an exceptional football player. Like I said, the range on the back end, Jesse Bates, a good football player. Uh, I know you're familiar with, unfortunately, a little bit. That's a good football player. He can cover the back end better than anyone right now, I think, in the NFL, uh, over the last couple of years. You have that kind of range, but you have the hit power of someone like Cam Chancellor. I mean, it's really, it's really like that. I'm not saying he's Cam Chancellor, I'm not saying he's he's this or that, but I'm saying that's the kind of caliber of potential that this guy has. And he's just shown it throughout his first two years of college to this point.
2: All right. That's great. Listen, I got one more for you. Okay. And all you do is talk about prospects and you talk about football. So I'm going to ask you something outside of that. So I, I, I noticed, cause I follow you on Twitter. Uh, I, I mean, I got to get my, I got to get my information about draft prospects from you and Ryan Roberts. So right. I follow both of you guys now, and I love the, I love the back and forth and the banter, by the way.
1: Oh, yeah. um, we love busting each other up.
2: I love it. But you said something about the, that NBA playoffs. Are you, so I'm guessing you're a Hawks fan.
1: Yeah. I, I'm Georgia through and through. I'm mm-hmm. a fan of all the Georgias, the Falcons, yeah, P- Hawks.
2: So let's talk a little bit about the Hawks. I'm just going to ask you, Obviously, they blew a 25 well almost
1: almost oh, so blew hey, a 25-point <laughs> lead.
2: Do. I'm just interested in how you feel coming off of game one. Do you do you, are you ecstatic? Does that fourth quarter give you a little bit of cause for pause? Obviously, that team is fun. Uh Herter is like one of my favorite players right now. He's just so fun to watch. Just Talk to us a little bit about, Lana, how you feel coming off of that big game one win and how you feel after that fourth quarter.
1: Yep. So here's my thoughts going into the series. I was not optimistic. I was I was thinking to myself, well, we have one defender, one true, really, really good defender, lockdown defender on the wing, and that's DeAndre Hunter. And he's announced not playing. Now, yeah. yeah, not playing. And so now I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, who's going to guard Ben Simmons? And yeah, of course, John Collins can do it. Okay. I guess, I guess we're fine, but then who's going to Tobias Harris is one of the hottest players in the NBA right now. Who's going to cover Tobias Harris. So I just felt like defensively there was always going to be a hole um, going into the series, but you know, we, we got off to a good start in the first quarter obviously in game one the other day and it took, it took the good big momentum boost in the first first quarter, first half for us, uh, because man, defensively, Philadelphia they can lock up when they really they need down. to. I don't think that's something they'll be able to do throughout the entirety of the game, just because of fatigue. You, you just can't you can't ask for them to play that that level of press the entire game. But when it comes down to the to the last few minutes, this is something that the Hawks have kind of str- they struggled a lot with with Lloyd Pierce's time management when the game came down to the wire, and that's what led to his you know, departure from the team and, and something that Nate McMillan, you know, current interim head coach, probably going to be head coach from here on out because of the level of play the Hawks have had since he became head coach at the beginning of March. I, you know, this is something that's kind of been gone. Like they had the best record in the NBA, right? Yeah. They were tied with Philadelphia from March 2nd or whenever it was that he uh, Lloyd Pierce was, was, you know, taken away um and and Nate McMillan came in we we tied with Philadelphia for the best record in the NBA and that's a lot of that's a testament to late game situations and their the Hawks ability to close out games and I I just felt like I'm I'm seeing Lloyd Pierce led Hawks team the other day and it did scare me I think you know hopefully DeAndre Hunter can come back at some point this series I know Joel Embiid not being 100% is Mm -hmm. going to be to our benefit um man yeah it's gonna be an offensive battle because the Hawks that's what they do they're just gonna try to outscore you because Trey Young probably the worst defender in the NBA just keep it a buck with you but he'll drop 30 on you so he kind of makes up for it in that way so uh you know it'll be an interesting series I don't know how it's gonna go ultimately I I tell Ryan it's Hawks in five and he tells (laughs) me it's it's Philly in six so I think I think you know we we we're gonna have a lot of back and forth because he's a Philly fan. He's yeah Philly through and through. So we 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 have a lot of back and forth right now. We I think we're going through the DMs like an hour ago talking crap.
2: Atlanta's fun, man. Bogdanovich is a stone I love cold
1: Yeah, he's good.
2: Herder, like I said, he's a stone cold killer. I mean that team is fun. Trey's obviously he's becoming a villain on a whole nother level. I love that. Um, I
1: love that storyline. Atlanta doesn't have that guy. No. Not in my lifetime. They never had that Russell West, even outside of basketball, they've never had that guy that if he's not with you, you hate him. If he's not a part of your team yet, you can't stand the guy. So to have someone that's like at the top of, the NBA, the top of, you know, one of these major sports to be that villain role, I think is so much fun. And it just, I I love the way he plays into it too. The bowing and the, the talking and the shush in Bogdanovich. The ice tray thing. Ice tray. Yeah, I mean. He loves it. He loves that mentality. Yeah, it's It's
2: great. Well, listen, Alex Gilstrap, co-host of Believe in NFL Draft Prospects. Also, temporary co-host this week of The Water Cooler. Thank (laughs) you for joining We will absolutely, positively, one hundred percent have you back on. Most likely, you know, during the college football season or towards the end. At this point, you're sort of our our draft expert. Luke thinks he's the draft expert. You really are the draft expert, and we appreciate everything you do for us. So thank you very, very much.
1: No, thank you for having me. It's all. This is my favorite podcast to come on and guest. I, I, throughout the draft process, I think I guessed on probably a dozen podcasts. This is my favorite by far. I just, I get good vibes. It's always a good conversation. Well,
2: you're coming back. So we appreciate you. Oh, <laughs> one thing on Twitter. What's your handle?
1: Oh, t- Twitter handle is at Alex Gilstrap. G-I-L-S-T-R-A-P. Follow can't, him. Yep. Thanks, bud. Thank you.
2: So now we transition from one guest to another. We're, we're moving them out, moving them back in. We got Stat Boy Kobe. We're bringing him in for really... Our favorite new segment of the show, Diamonds and Pucks with Colby. So, Colby, welcome to the show. Thank you
0: for having me. The floor be- is yours, my man. It's it's great to be back, man. I really <laughs> loved my segment the first time, talking about hockey. It's a wild time in hockey. I had to say, Winnipeg, what happened? They're down 3-0. <laughs> so, that completely... Burst my final four prediction, I can't really see them coming back from this. Coming back from 3-0 in hockey, it's really hard. It's not like basketball. You kind of have to rely on your whole team aspect to really come back from such a deficit. So I really don't see Winnipeg doing much. And their coach actually might be in the hot seat if they do not try to pull this series out. They're playing Montreal, right? Yeah, they're playing Montreal, Canadian. So is that
2: the way it's working? We didn't talk about it last week. but mm-hmm. So they basically, because of COVID, all the Canadian teams were in their own division,
0: right? And so yeah. basically
2: you're going to have like a Canadian, the Canadian champion. Are they going to play the U.S. champion for the Stanley so, Cup?
0: So they uh, they just have cleared for U.S. teams to play in Canada. So they're going to do it how it's normally done. They just were waiting on that clarification by the CDC and, you know, the Canadian government. So it's all good. You know, we're going to have normal how it's all going to come together, but I don't know if Montreal is going to be a team to be feared. I mean, they are up 3-0 against the Jets, but I just don't see it. Personally, it's not something that, uh, it's, it's just, they're a good team. But Montreal is going to get beaten by the winner of Vegas and Colorado. It's, it's destiny. Like, that's just – that's going to be happening. But Vegas and Colorado is tied 2-2. So anything can, can happen. Bruins are literally playing right now, and it's not looking good right now. It's literally 1-1 into the first period. And, God, Bruins are tied with the Islanders. 2-2 two, two, and it's just wow what a series it's been and you know i can't really see if the bruins go down 3-2 it's going to be really hard for them to come back where's uh, game six game six is in new york so right Ooh. now they're playing game five in boston and get if it goes to game seven game seven will be in boston now the ideal choice if they go down three two they will have to win game six and They must win game seven. I mean, it's in Boston. So it's like, tonight they should win. But shout out to my man, uh, David Proshniak. They call him Pasta. He smacked a goal in from the, uh, literally the logo. He literally pulled, it's like a Steph Curry pull-up half-court shot. Literally, this man takes it to the logo and knocks it in. And first goal, it's not even, it's one twenty three left in the first uh, period and Lily smacks it in it's it's insane but then the Islanders tied it up with the pretty uh, cheap shot goal it was well a we shot. thank
2: we thank you for coming on while while your Bruins are playing because I can I know that it's eating you up inside that you're not watching it. it's
0: it's eating me up I really hope they do I stayed up really late on Saturday watching the game and when the Islanders tied it, and the Islanders went up 4-1 because we had an empty net goalie, I was just like, wow, we this series is tied. And it might come to the last play with this series. And I, I just – I really don't like that. It, I, I really think the Bruins need to take advantage of this Boston game and then go and beat them. In. Now, if they lose to the Islanders next game, that's okay because the next game is Boston. Sure. So that you have that momentum, but all eyes are now on Tampa Bay and Carolina. Mm-hmm. This series is interesting. So it's three, one Carolina, one, one, uh, they won game three and it's interesting because Carolina did not win it all at home. So this is what scares me. It's coming back in game five at home with Carolina and I just don't see it happening for the Hurricanes this year. The Tampa Bay Lightning are a very good team like they were last year, and it's going to be really tough for them to really get anything going. My prediction is still the same. Bruins and Avalanche in the final. That's it with hockey. We're going to go into baseball. So what I'm going to go into is uh, college baseball because I am going to – go into this because it's a very good time for it to be an NC State fan because the NC State Wolfpack are going to the Super Regional, which is like the Elite Eight for the college NCAA tournament. And uh, they're one win away, one win away to go into Omaha, and it's insane. So the ideal matchup, State will play the winner of Arkansas and Nebraska. Arkansas has a squad this year. And Nebraska, that's a better matchup for NC State because NC State can really take advantage of their horrible pitching. So I really see if it's Arkansas State, it's going to be a death match. Basically, whoever hits last is winning. And if it's going to be Nebraska and State, State's winning that because Nebraska's pitching, their is not good. So take a, a little bit of – sw- segue to major league baseball so I didn't talk much about major league baseball at all last time and I wanted to introduce this because my Boston Red Sox have swept swept the New York Yankees the dirty Yankees as I like to call them the skin and cast. I hate the Yankees <laughs> um, I hate New York it's just not a not a fan you shouldn't uh, hate
2: anything. You can dislike them.
0: but uh, Hate is very strong, me. I know, I know. But New York Yankees have been swept by the Boston Red Sox. It's a great time to be a Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, right now, Boston is playing the uh, Miami Marlins, and they're up 5-2. This looks like it's an easy win for Boston. So I'm just going to go into – divisions and kind of just skim through these really fast okay so starting with the al with the east division it's tampa bay at number one Mm -hmm. which came into a shock to me because blake snell their really good pitcher they had in the world series last last year it's not there anymore i don't know if what their pitching rotation is looking like i've only seen a couple tampa bay games this year and they really don't look like they have a solid bullpen, but the starting pitching seems solid for the most part. So I, I see them making the playoffs might be a team that gets cold and probably loses and does not go pretty far. Okay. Uh, and then the second team in that division in the East is the uh, Boston Red Sox, which I'm happy about. And then after that, the Toronto Blue Jays, and then, Second to last, the New York Yankees.
2: How many games and, back are Boston? Is Boston back
0: uh, against Tampa Bay? Yeah. Uh, so right now they are sitting. Uh, Tampa Bay is thirty-eight and twenty-three. Boston is thirty-six and twenty-three. so they're, okay, so they're one game back. Yeah. And then at the uh, bottom of the division, who are basically probably set for the number one pick for the uh, MLB draft. The Baltimore Orioles. In the central division of the AL is the Chicago White Sox at the top at 36 and 23. At the second in that division is the Cleveland baseball team at 31 and 26. The third in that division, the Kansas City Royals, 29 and 28. And then the second to last is Minnesota Twins, 24 and 35. And then the bottom is the Detroit Tigers at 24 and
2: 35. The biggest spread from first – and the the Indians, excuse me, the Cleveland baseball team are the second-place team that are are behind the most games from the first-place team. They're four games back.
0: Yes. Yeah. Personally, if you have to ask me, I do not – I see Cleveland probably getting cold towards the end – and uh, the Kansas City Royals stealing that second Well, Well,
2: the their offense is atrocious. They can't hit
0: it. Yeah. I mean, they're it's, they're calling up Bobby Bradley. Yeah, I haven't seen much of the offense uh, with them. It's Well, they're uh,
2: calling up Bobby Bradley. They just sent mm-hmm. Jake Bowers down, who was playing first base, that was hitting yeah. like 140. Yeah. You know, they lost Lindor. Lindor hasn't been playing great for the Mets, but yeah, they're pitching solid. Their bullpen gets a little suspect in the backhand with – with Card Carnacich, Karsacek, and and Brad Hand, yeah. but
0: he's a okay. kind of a suspect kind of pitcher to me. Like I don't know, it just it doesn't seem right. I, I think he throws weird, but with the West Division and the uh, AL, the Oakland A's are at the top, thirty five tw- and twenty six, and then the cheats themselves, the Houston Astros, in the second, the third at thirty three and twenty six. And then the third, the Seattle Mariners, 30 and 31. And then the biggest disappointment to me is the Los Angeles Angels at 27 and 32. The second to the last in the West division it is very disappointing. I hope Mike Trout is getting better. And then the Texas Rangers are the dead last in that division at 23 and 38. Let's save the NL for next week. That's
2: diamonds and pucks. With Staff Boy Kobe, we appreciate that. Listen, before we let you go, Luke's obviously not here this week. So technically, we had Alex Gilstrap in the previous segment. He was the co-host for that segment. So technically, you're a co-host this week. Yeah. So I feel like that we need to touch on a major topic, a major subject. Over Mm -hmm. the weekend, the news broke, and we talked about this last week, right? The news broke Not a shock. that Julio Jones was traded to the Tennessee Titans. Basically, it was a second and a fourth. So Luke actually had that thing dead on. He was texting me two or three weeks ago saying that he thought Julio would go for a second and a fourth. Very interesting, though, because now, obviously, you have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown in Tennessee. What I want to ask you is right now, are they the best wide receiver duo in the NFL and if they aren't who do you think is
0: see that's a hard question to ask because I love Julio and I love AJ Brown. I wouldn't say so because I feel like there's there's others. Um, Okay. Okay. So who do you like? Personally to me I like Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson out of Minnesota a lot. Just I've I've watched a lot of their games. And I just see what Jefferson is doing. He's young. He's prime talent. It kind of reminds me a little bit. It kind of reminds me of, I don't want to say this, but he kind of reminds me of Moss a little bit. So it just oddly, it just reminds me of Moss a little bit. Don't do that.
2: He, he's good, but he ain't that good. Let me tell you something. When Randy Moss first came in the NFL in 1997, that dude was unstoppable. Justin Jefferson is really, really good, and he put up some big numbers in his rookie season. Listen, this is your pick, so I'm going to say I am i don't have an issue with the pick. Just don't compare Justin Jefferson to Randy Moss because that's – Randy Moss was a dog. Yeah. Look, I like it. I mean, there, there's obviously quite a few duos in the NFL. You got Godwin and, and Mike Evans. Mm-hmm.
0: You yeah. got Lockett and, and D.K., yeah. That, that was, that was one that I was going to say too.
2: You got Landry and, and Odell. I, look, I, yeah. I, I think it's going to depend on what Julio Jones you get. Is he healthy? Is he mm-hmm. going to be able to stay healthy throughout the course exactly. of the season? I think if those two players both play 14, 15, 16 games, mm-hmm. they're right there. I would probably say Mike Evans and Godwin is, is are up there with them and Probably yeah, exactly. DK. I really like DK and Tyler Lockett. I'm going to say it's those three right now. I, if I have yeah. to pick one, I will say right now as it stands that I believe that Julio Jones and AJ Brown are probably the best wide receiver duo yeah. in the NFL with the caveat that there's a health issue there. I mean, Julio only played seven games last year, so yeah. we we'll
0: Yeah, I I do have to agree with that, even though I did say Minnesota has a pretty good duo in Jefferson and Thielen, but I don't know. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are great, but I will agree. Julio Jones and A.J. Brown will be very good together, and I'm anxious to see what that team is like. It's going to be fun.
2: They're going to look good getting off the bus, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, with that, don't forget – at WC Sports Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like, follow, subscribe. We are available on all your favorite streaming platforms. Anywhere that you consume podcasts, you can find us. We are also available on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Check us out today at believe.com. That's B L E A V. And as always, we are presented by the one and only BetOnline.ag. With that, we love you and enjoy your lives.
0: This is from our boy Luke. Somebody sucks me.